Ryan Menson, we're starting a new short series this afternoon looking at our identity as a church. So it's a good thing that we, we do this every year. We take three weeks uh, just to go through our identity uh, as a church, to remember who we are, to refresh ourselves with uh, who we are because we forget, right? We forget who we are and it's good to be reminded and recalled uh, and grounded again. And really, folks, the great mission of God, it's the same wherever we go in any church right across the planet. The great mission of God, Jesus summed it up like this, didn't he? To love God and love others. And that's what we're here to do. That's what Liberty Church is here to do, to love God and love those around us. But it's good and it's right where churches land in different situations, in different cultures, in different seasons, in different times. It's good that we work out what it looks like for us to do that specifically where we are. So, so all that we do will be to love God and love others. But what does it look like for Liberty Church here, planted in the middle of Lark Lane, Egbeth, Liverpool? What does it look like for us to work out that mission here? Well, this is how we do it. This is our vision statement as a church. We're, we're a church community in Lark Lane, Liverpool, with a vision to make much of Jesus from this place to the nations. It's our desire to hold out and hold on to truth, practicing a tangible presence as we pursue transformation in our lives and others. And that is, if you've been with us for a few years, that's a re-articulation of what we've been talking about previously as being people who are gospel-centered, marked by grace and on mission. But what we've done is we step into a new season as a church is articulate what it means to be gospel-centered, marked by grace, on mission in a way that really makes sense to us as Liberty Church and in a way that makes sense to folks outside of the church. So that is our vision. And our values can be summed up in three of those words. Truth, transformation, and presence. And we're going to spend the next three weeks just exploring, going a little bit deeper, helping, uh, using God's word to help us understand what it means for us to be people who have those specific values of truth, transformation, and presence. I'm going to start this week with truth. Let me pray before we read God's word together. Father, we thank you already for how you've been encouraging us and building us up as we've sung truth to each other and been reminded of your presence here with us now by your spirit. What a privilege that is. And now, Father, as we continue to worship, we, we look forward to hearing from you. We believe that it's through your word that you speak. And so we ask that you would, and as you do, that you would change us. Father, your word is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. And so we ask that it would do a work of transformation amongst each of us this afternoon. For the glory of Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you've got a Bible, we're going to read a few verses from John chapter 3. Can someone just shout out, if you've got one of our ESV Bibles or any ESV Bible, just shout out what page number it is um, so we know where we are. John chapter 3. Verses 25 uh, to 36. Um, 888. 888. There you go. Nice and easy. Okay. I'm going to read that for us in a moment. As we go through these three values, truth, transformation, and presence, we're going to use the, the Gospels in the New Testament to help us understand what it looks like for us as a church to be people of truth, transformation, and presence. And this morning, we're going to look at um, really a thread that's all the way through John's gospel, but a specific incident in the life of John the Baptist to help us understand what it is to be a people who hold out and hold on to truth. So let me read this. John 3, 
start in verse 25. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I'm not the Christ, for I've been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the spirit without measure. The father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. If you had one question that you could ask God, what would it be? What's heaven like? What happens after we die? Why is there so much suffering in the world? What is the meaning of life? Well, right at the end of John's gospel, the book that we're reading from this morning, someone has that opportunity. Pilate, who is the Roman governor, at the time of Jesus' death, has an opportunity to sit with Jesus, talk with him and ask him questions. So if you know what's going on in, in uh, the story of, um, of Jesus' life and his approach in death, you'll know that the Jews want Jesus dead. They've been calling him a blasphemer. They've been whipping up lies against him and they want him dead. Literally, they want to murder him. But they can't do it unless they get the rubber stamp of Rome on it. And so they bring Jesus to the Roman governor, Pilate, at the time. And they ask Pilate to, to basically confirm their verdict on Jesus that he is guilty. And Pilate can see there's tension in the crowd and people are getting agitated and they want this man, Jesus, dead. So he pulls Jesus to one side. And he has a conversation with him. He's heard rumours that, that people are calling Jesus the king of the Jews. And so he says to Jesus, well, are you? Are you the king of the Jews? And as Jesus does, he turns the, the question around and, and starts asking Pilate questions. And he says to Pilate, well, you say that I am. And Pilate says again, well, people are saying that you are the king of the Jews. Is that who you are? And Jesus answers him with this. For this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. And then Pilate gets his chance to ask him a million dollar question. And he asks this. What is truth? John, the gospel writer, as he's recounting what happens as they have this conversation, writes down Pilate's question, what is truth? But then there is no answer. We hear nothing from Jesus. We hear no response. And then something strange happens. John says Pilate immediately gets up and he goes out to the crowds and he says, I find no guilt in him. He's innocent. 
strange. Like if you're just jumping into the story at this point, it looks a little bit strange. Like what has Pilate heard? What has he seen that has made him so convinced that Jesus is innocent, that he's ready to go out and put his neck on the line and say, he's, he's not guilty. But yet Jesus said nothing to him. If you've been reading John's gospel from the start, if you've been tracking along with his account of Jesus' ministry, you would know, it seems that Pilate knows as well, that the answer to his question, what is truth, is standing right in front of him. John, the gospel writer, has been clear from the start, if you want to know truth, you need to know Jesus. Imagine that beautiful picture of Pilate just being face to face with Jesus, asking the question, and just from looking at Jesus, he gets the answer. What is truth? Truth is found in Jesus. And why does that matter for us? Why does it matter that we need to know what truth is? Well, the reality is truth determines how we live and what we live for. Whatever truth you are holding on to, that will determine how you are going to live and what you will live for because truth is intimately connected to life. And increasingly in our culture, we're told the way to find life is to find our own truth. Like you probably heard these things been said, said before, your truth is your truth and mine is mine. You might have come across online on social media, hashtag my truth. Like we're encouraged to find our own truth. We're encouraged to construct our own truth. And we're told that if we do, if we find our own truth, if we go on this journey of discovery of truth, that is how we find liberation. That is how we find freedom. And ultimately, that is how we find life. Well, folks, we only need to look around us and listen to the people around us and see the distress and the brokenness in our world to see that just isn't true. It's not working. Trying to discover your own truth will not work. Demi Lovato, who, um, if you don't know who she is, I'm afraid I can't help you. She's, um, She's one of the most influential women on the planet at the moment. A famous singer artist. A number of months ago, back in March, she announced on her Instagram account that she was no longer identifying as a woman or a man. She was going to identify as being non-binary. And the thing that people really jumped on when she made this announcement was this tagline that she put on her post. Keep living your own truth. I found mine, and it's to be non-binary, so you keep living your own truth. And she gets applause from celebrities, and people are rallying around her, and and are really pleased that she's finally found life, she's finally found who she is, and she's found freedom. Just a few weeks ago, she makes another post. This time, she announced that she might not always identify as non-binary. And in fact, what she's on is this forever journey of truth. That's what she called it. Now, folks, this isn't a statement about gender or sexuality. We can talk about that later if you want. This is a statement about truth. What she is saying is basically the truth that I'm holding on to now may not actually be true. Like in a few months, I might find out that this is not true, but I'll grab hold of another truth. But if you take it to its logical end, that might not be true. And she'll find out that she has to move on to another truth and another truth and another truth. And can you see how unliberating that is? Can you see how finding your own truth only leads to a journey of exhaustion and disappointment and will ultimately, folks, crush you? But I want to tell us this afternoon that there is a better way. The Bible says that there is a way to life. There is. There is a way to freedom. 
There is a way to life and freedom, and we can have it in this life and into eternity. And it's to believe this. The truth is ultimately found in Jesus. Truth is ultimately found in Jesus. The passage that we read John the Baptist, the guy that we're introduced to there, he's, he's been going about proclaiming Christ. He's, he's had a, a gathering and kind of come and follow him. He's given his life to, to call people to, to join and to follow the Christ. And in chapter one of John's gospel, we see that he actually meets the Christ. He sees Jesus coming towards him and he realizes, he sees him with his eyes and he realizes that his cousin Jesus is the Christ. And he makes this great announcement, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He knows that Jesus is the Christ. And yet people still come to him. And he's got a great ministry, John the Baptist. He's doing a great job. He's baptizing people. But people are coming to him. And in verse 28, we saw that they're asking him, are you the Christ? Is it you? Are you the one that we should follow? And John the Baptist makes so much effort to say, it's, it, it's not me. It's Jesus. Follow him. See, John the Baptist was a good guy. And he said good things. And he spoke truths. But he wasn't Jesus. Jesus was much greater than John the Baptist. In verse 31, we see, unlike John the Baptist, Jesus comes from heaven. That means he has all authority. In verse 31, again, it says, unlike Jesus, unlike John the Baptist, Jesus is above all things. That means he comes with power. Verse 32, unlike John the Baptist, Jesus has seen and heard all things. Like, just let that settle for a moment. For all eternity, Jesus has seen and heard it all. Like, is there anyone wiser in the universe than the person who has seen and heard all things? So Jesus comes with wisdom. In verse 34, unlike John the Baptist, when Jesus speaks, he is quite literally, John says, speaking as God. Because Jesus comes as God. Because he, he is God. Jesus comes with authority, with power, with wisdom, and he comes as God. And then in the middle of those verses, in verse 33, there is one of the most hopeful statements. If you are searching for life this afternoon, this is one of the most hopeful statements that you can ever hear. And John, the gospel writer, says this. God is true. God is That's a drop-the-mic moment for John as he writes his gospel. God, who he's already said is Jesus Christ, is true. In fact, Jesus goes on in chapter 14 of John's gospel to say that about himself. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If we want to find life, folks, we need to believe that truth is ultimately found in Jesus. What does that look like for us practically? Well, firstly, at Liberty Church, it means that we love the Bible. Do you know what I've said in the past, and I've heard other people say in the past? We don't love the Bible, we love the God of the Bible. And I get what I've been saying, and I get what other people have been saying when they say that, but actually, I want to kind of redact my statements and say, I actually love the Bible. I love this book. And we should love it. And that is why we preach from the Bible every week. That's why we sing the Bible. As we sing, that's why we study. That's why we pray. And that might sound old-fashioned. But we love the Bible because these are Jesus' words. Jesus said, he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. These are his words. And so it's right that we love what he's saying. 
The Bible says that the words in this book are breathed out by God. Some translations would say that they are inspired by God. In verse 34 of the passage we've just read, we've just seen that Jesus' words are God's words. This book that we have here, folks, it is inspired by God. It is breathed out by God. Let me just help us understand what we mean when we say that. When we say that this book is inspired by God, we're not saying that that God dictated something and humans wrote it down. That's not what inspired means. We're not saying it came from kind of human ingenuity, like like all of the the apostles knew lots about God and they wrote it down. No, no, it's inspired. Here's an illustration that helps. I love jazz music. Don't judge me, but I love jazz music. And I particularly love trumpet jazz. I love it. I just love the sound of the trumpet being blasted out. And there's one um, trumpet musician that I particularly love, a guy called Winton Marcellus. He's just phenomenal on the trumpet. Trumpet solos, I could listen to them all night long. Now, no one would question that when Winton Marcellus is, is playing music, no one would question that it's him who's playing the music. It's his breath that is coming through the trumpet. He's making the tune. He's making the melody. But his breath is passing through an instrument. That's what it means for God's word to be inspired. God breathes his words into those who write it. By the power of the Holy Spirit, they write down what we have here. It is inspired by God, written by his instruments. And so it's right that we love the Bible. But it's also right that we love Jesus. You know, it's possible to love this book and not have a relationship with Jesus. We know that the devil is the most theologically orthodox being outside of the Trinity. And he hates God. See, we cannot love this and not love Jesus. We do both. And we do that by seeing that this is not a book of rules. It's not even just a book. When we open this book, we encounter a person. Jesus. These are his words. This is his truth. And so can I just... Can I say to us, if we are reading this, if you're a Christian and you read this book and it is not leading you to Jesus, I think think we've missed the point. To be in God's word, to read it, to study it is an act of worship. That's why we share this meal after we hear God's word preached because the word leads us to worship. That's why we sing truths because the word leads us to worship. The goal, folks, as we read this and we hold on to God's word is not bigger heads, it's bigger hearts. Because truth is ultimately found in Jesus, folks. We will love the Bible and we will love Jesus and we will hold on to this book as he speaks to us. As we acknowledge the truth is found in Jesus, we will find, folks, that truth will lead us to life. Truth will lead us to life. And that is something that we all want. We all want life, right? We all want to live and flourish, not just exist, but but to flourish in the life that we have. In fact, we were made to to want that. God created us, designed us to want to live, to want to flourish, to want to live well. God made us to want to be free of the things that, that hold us back from that, the things that enslave us from that. And we as people who are wired in those ways are ready to take hold of life when it is offered out to us. You know, with every truth movement, there are powerful storytellers who tell stories and hold stories out to us and tell those stories in a way that we can connect with them. Stories that that will lead us towards life or that they will tell us they will lead us towards life. And so think of, um, 
In our day and age, think of Nike or Nike. Think of Disney. Think of even the Kardashians. If you don't know who they are, God bless you. (laughs) These are people who hold out stories to us. They are the storytellers of our time who are holding out stories of of us facing certain obstacles in life. And and they hold out the remedy for that thing. And they say, if you take hold of this, you you can be free of all these things and you can hold on to life. Whether it's athletic performance or, or social barriers from being the prince or princess that, that you want to be or your physical appearance. These things are holding us back from being able to live and live as we should be. That's the story that they tell. And they will tell us that if we believe in ourselves and by their product, we can defeat our enemies and be free of those things that are holding us back and walk into the fullness of life. The problem is, they never work. And we know that. Might not be Nike, might not be Disney. I hope it's not the Kardashians, but it will be something else for you. Something that the world is holding out and saying, this is the way to life. This is the way to freedom. Just, just take hold and you'll have the life that you're longing for. It might be sex, it might be alcohol, it might be a whole number of things. And we've tried them and every time we find that they don't satisfy. The product wears out, the film ends, and we move on to something else and take hold of that thing and hope that that thing will give us the life that we long for. And if we're honest, we're exhausted. In verse 36 of chapter 3, we read this. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever believes in Jesus has eternal life. Jesus goes on himself in chapter 8 of John's Gospel and he says this, if you abide in my word, in other words, if you believe that truth is ultimately found in Jesus, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and listen to this and the truth will set you free. And then he goes on and says this in verse 34, truly, truly, whenever Jesus says something twice, we listen, right? Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You see, just like Nike, just like Disney, just like the Kardashians, the Bible tells us a story of life. And it is honest. It says there are difficulties. It says there are obstacles. And in the same way as everything else in the world, all these storytellers will hold out a solution in order for us to find our freedom. So does the Bible. But the Bible is honest with us. And it says our problem is not how healthy we are. Our problem is not how successful we are. Our problem is not, is not how great we are as human beings. Our problem, the Bible says, is sin. Our problem is that we have offended God. That's what sin is. Rebelling against God. We've offended him. And the problem is that that sin enslaves us. That's what Jesus says in John chapter 8. We are slaves to sin. And you see, sin separates us from God. And here's the problem. Haven't we already said that if we want life, we need Jesus? But if our sin separates us from him, then we have no life. There is a somber reality in the verses we just read, folks. In verse 36, John says this, Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, 
but the wrath of God remains on him. The wrath of God is the righteous judgment for our sins against him. We don't just sin against each other. We sin and we offend a holy God. And it is right that he judges us. It is right that he he pours out his wrath on us. And John says, if you're not with Jesus, that wrath remains and you will not see life. That's why we need Jesus, folks. Because Jesus comes and lives amongst us. And he lives a perfect life. And as he hangs on the cross, the wrath that John talks about here, the wrath of God is taken off of us if we believe and it is placed onto Jesus. The very thing that separates us from God, the very thing that separates us from life, the very thing that that deprives us and takes us away from eternal life with God, which is what we all want. Jesus takes that away and puts it on himself. And he suffers a cruel death as the judgment due to us is poured out on him. He suffers physically and he suffers spiritually and he dies in our place. Three days later, he rises from the grave and his resurrection shows us that if we want life, we need to go to him. If he can raise from the grave, if he can defeat death, if he can defeat our sin, if he can defeat Satan, then he's the one we need to be with if we want life. Truth leads us to life, folks. And if truth is Jesus, then Jesus will lead us to life. And we need to believe that. We need to take hold of that truth. That would be the first thing that we need to do. If we believe that that is true, that truth leads us to life, we need to take hold of Jesus and not delay. You know, there are so many things that will distract us from doing that. In the passage, there's kind of a comical start to the start of the passage. John the Baptist turns up and there's this conversation or an argument going on about purification. Like John the Baptist is all about Jesus. He's all about proclaiming Jesus, calling people to see Jesus. And then there's this kind of distraction about purification. And then they go on to talk about baptism. John, John's not really interested in that. He wants people to come and follow Jesus. Folks, there are so many things that will distract us from taking hold of Jesus. As you walk out the doors this afternoon, there are 101 things that will cloud your vision and try and rob you from taking hold of Jesus. Don't delay. Take hold of him today. If you don't believe him, if you don't believe that truth is ultimately found in him and he will lead you to life, do not wait. Believe in him today. And if you do already know Jesus, take hold of him. Take hold of him and his word. I know that's a struggle for a lot of us. And so I encourage us to do this. As we take hold of Christ in the word, as we read and study and listen to him, do that dependent on the spirit. Look down at verse 34 with me. There's a beautiful kind of Trinitarian thing going on here. John says, for he, that's Jesus, whom God, that's the Father, has sent, the word, has sent us as the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. You see the Father, Son, and Spirit within there, all working together to, to talk about the truth, to communicate the truth of who God is to his people. And so if you find that when you're opening God's word, you're, just not, you're not seeing Jesus, you're not hearing from Jesus, I encourage you just to do something really simple. Just stop for a minute and ask the Holy Spirit to guide you to truth and to reveal Jesus to you. That is what Jesus promises the Holy Spirit will do. 
John 16, Jesus says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So if you're struggling in the Bible at the moment, can I encourage you tomorrow, open it up and pray that simple prayer. Holy Spirit, would you show me Jesus today? Would you lead me to truth today? And he will. Truth leads us to life. And so can I encourage us, take hold of truth. Take hold of Jesus. Liberty Church, we will be a people who hold onto truth and we will hold out that truth. I'm not going to spend long here at all because we're going to come back to here in a couple of weeks when we talk about being a people of presence. But there's just one thing I want to just pull out to us from this passage, and it's this, that truth proclaimed leads to joy. When we proclaim truth, it will lead to joy. See, John the Baptist is holding out the truth of who who the Christ is. He's calling people to follow the Christ. And he gives us this interesting picture of John the Baptist being the best man to Jesus, who is the groom. Now, I know kind of best man duties nowadays. It's a stressful job, right, Matty? Matty was recently a best man. Andy's got it coming up. It's a stressful job, like being a best man. You've got all these different things to do. In the first century, that wasn't the case. The role of the best man was to, just to be with the groom to make sure everything happened, to make sure that he got to where he was going on time, to make sure that the family got on together. He was just to be there. John the Baptist says that as Jesus arrives, he's just the best man. And he takes joy in presenting the groom, Jesus, for everyone to fix their eyes on. You know what would have made a lousy wedding for Andy if everyone was staring at Matthew? (laughs) Wouldn't it? They weren't. They were looking at the groom, mostly at the bride, but a little bit at the groom. (laughs) That's how it's meant to be. John the Baptist says that's how it's meant to be. And as Jesus comes and he's able to push people towards Jesus, he says, my joy is now complete. He must increase and I must decrease. I've got to get out of the way. I've got to let Jesus do his thing. And just a practical point as we wrap up. As we are a people who hold on to truth and hold out truth. I'm sure we all share this experience. Holding out truth, it it kind of makes us nervous. Even just the thought of going out of here and sharing the truth of Jesus with people makes me nervous. Like my hands get sticky, I get kind of clammy. I was doing it this morning, Elizabeth was encouraging me to tell our neighbours about what's going on this afternoon and everything within me was like panicking and, and heart rate going up and I'm just telling people about what I do for a job. I shouldn't be getting stressed out about it at all, but I do. And I'm sure we all do. And then we worry afterwards about what we said and whether we said the right thing and whether we need to go back and correct some, some false doctrine maybe that we shared with them. Folks, I think we need to be encouraged from the example of John the Baptist that we are not the truth. Jesus is. We just hold him out. Life isn't found in us, folks. It's found in Jesus. And so we need to take the weight <laughs> off ourselves and joyfully hold him out for others to enjoy. And when we do, I believe the pattern that we see here with John the Baptist is we will be filled with joy. That makes sense. If truth is ultimately found in Jesus, if truth leads us to life, then it makes sense as we tell others about that truth. As we share freedom from sin and a path to eternal life, it makes sense that we will be filled with joy. And others will be filled as well as they receive it as truth. Liberty Church, we will be people who hold on and hold out truth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word.
thank you for the power that it is. Thank you that it is true. Father, as we just continue in worship now, we pray that you would continue to lead us to truth. Help us to celebrate the truth of the gospel as we share this meal together. Father, help us to be people who, who go to you for truth. And if we believe in the lies of the world or Satan or even ourselves, help us to, to see them for what they are and to hold on to you. And we thank you that truth leads us to life. We thank you that if we know you, we have eternal life. Wrath has been removed and we have an eternity with you. Help us as your people to be people who proclaim joy and as we do to take joy in that. And we pray that others will be filled with joy as well as they see Jesus, as they hold on to him as their saviour and Lord. Father, we love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his glory.